How We Built Our Team is a podcast that talks to successful founders and leaders in the hiring and recruiting space to learn their strategies for building and scaling their teams. From attracting and impressing top talent to creating a strong company culture, our guests will share their insights and experience on what it takes to build your dream team. In this episode, we talk to Toby Oluwole, a Nigerian-Canadian entrepreneur, current sales manager at Shopify, and co-founder of Three Skills, his company that helps candidates become their most employable selves. We had an awesome and really frank discussion about what candidates are really looking for in this new hiring market. And he gave us his thoughts on good and bad candidate feedback during the hiring process, how to actually show candidates who care, and the importance of speed. Toby has a lot of amazing stories from his time at Shopify and launching his own company. So you'll get a ton of tactical tips on creating a really amazing candidate experience. Hi, Toby. Welcome to the show. We're super excited to have you. Toby is a Nigerian-Canadian entrepreneur. He's super passionate about helping people achieve fulfillment in their everyday lives and specifically talks a lot about candidate experience online, which is why we're so excited to have him here. He's the co-founder of Three Skills, which is a company he started whose mission is to create the world's most employable candidates. Toby's also a content creator, a startup advisor. He's also a coach. In his free time, he loves spending time with his family and watching soccer and traveling. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And Lavanya is also joining us today. Lavanya, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Lavanya, and I work as a customer success manager at Dover. My role is to ensure that our customers are utilizing our platform in the best possible way. I'm very passionate about ensuring that candidates have a great experience while recruiting, while reducing the load on hiring managers. So I'm very excited about what you have to say about that, Toby. Amazing. I'm looking forward to it. Toby, I want to just really quickly start off and get your thoughts. You've had a few really tumultuous years, and you've talked a lot about this on your social profiles. I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on the biggest differences in what candidates are looking for right now in the hiring process. I think the market has definitely shifted to be more of an employer's market, but candidates are still, it, it's still really tough in tech. And so I'm curious to hear what you think candidates value during the hiring process more now. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has switched to the employer side. Uh, there's so much more power with the employers right now, considering all the layoffs that have happened. But with candidates, right, what COVID showed us over the past couple of years is that we had lost our priorities, right? We were building our lives around our careers. And now people, even though things have opened up, even though the market is like this, people are still going, actually, I want to build my career around my life. And so they're still looking for flexibility in terms of the work environment. They're still looking for a great boss that's understanding of their situation. They're still looking for recruiters that don't ghost them and a process that actually gives them feedback. Those things have become more normalized over the years. But now it's even more important because the competition's through the roof, right? Any given role will have three, four, 500 applicants. And so to get ready, to mentally get ready to apply, to show up, and then to get ghosted and not really know why you didn't get the job, I feel like it's taking an even bigger hit on people's health, right? On mental health. Because now it's like, not only do I not have a job or not only am I unfulfilled or unhappy in my job, I have no idea what I'm doing wrong to actually not get these other jobs. So I think that feedback portion, especially now, is probably the number one thing. Like, it just helped me get better, helped me know what I need to work on to 
actually improve for the next thing that I'm going to apply for. What is the table stakes when it comes to giving feedback to candidates? What should companies and or even early, especially early stage companies who don't maybe have the best hiring process fleshed out? What would you advise to start from a baseline? What should you be letting candidates know throughout the interview process? Uh, you have to set your own uh, kind of thresholds, right? So if someone's just purely applying to uh, a job and they aren't even making it to like the screening, there's not necessarily a ton of feedback you need to give them, right? You don't need to call them and be like, hey, your resume is not good, right? I think as you go further into the interview process, the more important feedback becomes, right? So if I'm in the final stages, I've met with the hiring manager and the panel, and now I'm not really hearing back as to what didn't let me get the job. Now it's really, really impactful, right? Because that's where self-doubt starts to kick in, right? I had a friend that just made it. He made it all the way to the final stages and they literally gave him the feedback like, oh, you did okay, but we think you should go for this other role. Well, why do you think I didn't get this senior role? We, you know, we just think the other roles better fit. Well, what are we supposed to do with that? You know what I mean? It needs to be like good feedback is concise, but specific, right? So it doesn't need to be a write-up. It's, hey, we found that I, I interviewed a Zapier last month or the month before. He gave me incredible feedback. Hey, you know, we found that your experience was not necessarily aligned with what we're looking for and your expectations in terms of salary weren't really aligned. We'll keep you in mind for the future. Okay, great. I know that maybe I asked for too much that was outside of their range, which is fine, right? Maybe I only have one year of experience in corporate leadership. Maybe they're looking for three or four, which is fine. But to just get an email like, hey, we're worst email in the world. We're moving forward with other candidates. Jesus Christ. Like, how does that help me? You know, like, who are these candidates? Send me their number, you know? Um, so I think that's where it needs to become a little more specific, but it doesn't need to be this long paragraph. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I think the the specificity is what's really important because I've definitely gotten those emails, right? That are just like, hey, we're moving forward after I've spent time on a take-home assessment or things yeah. like that, which is always, you know, always more difficult. And I think it speaks to those effects aren't just immediate. You, you don't immediately you know, really impact this candidate, but this candidate will maybe go tell their network what their experience yeah. is like. And further on down the line, if you have other job openings, like they're, they're not going to be somebody who's going to be interested in applying again because of their experience. So, yeah, I think like there, there is trauma associated with the interview and like hiring process. I remember I was on, on my honeymoon and I got recruited by a company here in, in Ottawa and on my honeymoon, they're calling me at like 7 a.m. I'm going through interviews literally in the middle of Santorini, okay? And I'm going through the interviews, you know, I'm following up, I get back, I go into the office, I do the interview, right? And they literally ghost me for six months. And then another recruiter emails me and goes, hey, we identified your profile. We'd love to interview you. Guys, this is ridiculous. You know, like not only was I in the middle of a beach interviewing, you just like left me on red for like six months. And then now you're coming back telling me that I'm a good fit for like, what are we talking about here? You know? So I think those things, they, one, it, it it's careless, you know, like when, when we're working with, uh, I, I'm very passionate about careers because nothing affects your mental health, physical health, who, you know, what, you know, where you live, uh, what you do, how much you vacation as much as your career. It is like the one 
rock in everybody's life, your source of income, right? And so when we we don't provide these unique and uh, great experiences, and when we actually are careless with something that is so impactful to people's lives, it leaves this trailing damage, right? It and and it's not actually supposed to happen that way. It's it's not a hard thing to do to just give someone a human experience throughout the the uh, recruiting stages, right? And I think we, I mean, corporate in general reduces things and people to numbers. And so, you know, it's, you know, candidate one, you know, didn't make it, right? As opposed to, you know, Magda, we need to give her this feedback, right? If, especially if they're a good candidate. And I, I've gotten so much, like it's, it's partially why I'm so passionate about what we do at Three Skills, because I had to read a Shopify seven times. I didn't get any feedback six times. I had to figure it out. So I probably should have been in there like, you know, the third year, the fourth time, you know, and, and one time the feedback I got was, oh, the hiring manager feels like you're too green. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm not like the, the Grinch, you know, like give me some real feedback to work on, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I, I think that's really where we can get better. It's providing a human experience, right? Uh, as opposed to just a candidate experience. A follow-up question on that, Toby, what's the best way of communicating this feedback? Should it be written or in person? For us, when, when we go all the way through an interview process, right? Uh, so, you know, the last stage, the last six, seven uh, candidates, right? Every single person gets a phone call. Hey, you know, we loved having you in. We think you're a strong candidate. Here's what was missing. and you know, thank you for applying, right? We know it was, you put a lot of work into it. If you choose to apply again in the next six months or so, please do, right? And and everybody in the final stages gets a phone call, right? Before that, it can be a little more what we call cold communication, right? It's an email, right? The Zapier guy sent me an email. He was just like, hey, you know, this thing, this thing wasn't really a good fit. And that was good enough for me. I'm like, I'll take that. I appreciate it, right? And I think it's important that we also don't waste time as, you know, the recruitment team, right? You don't got to call 30 people. Nobody ever needs to call 30 people. But if I gave you, you know, a take home, a case study and panel interview and all this time, I, I can get more money. I can't get more time, right? If I give you my time, it's the most precious thing that I can give you. Give me five minutes and tell me I didn't get the job, you know? And I think that's really the exchange that needs to happen. It needs to be right? Like I don't call, like I go through a, a ton of profiles, but I don't call everybody that doesn't make it, but it's, it's important to at least help them get better because it, it also saves you time for the next time in case they come back. So I love your thought, Toby, on, you know, giving candidates a phone call if they do reach the final round. I think that is also a great opportunity to ask candidates about their experience. And if there are any improvements that can be made to the interviewing process as well. That's how, you know, you are such a great advocate for our candidates, people who are interviewing, but you're also a hiring manager yourself. I'd love to ask you, uh, do you have any tactical examples of how recruiting teams or hiring managers can position themselves more attractively because good or strong candidates are always competitive to hire in any market? So why can't companies do more tactically 
to address any concerns that candidates have today or just position themselves more attractively? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the first thing is speed. You know, uh, don't take two weeks to get back to a good candidate and you immediately start creating a, a great experience for them. Right? I remember when I applied to Shopify the seventh time, they got back to me in eight hours. So immediately I'm like, whoa, I'm prioritized in this. Right? And they ended up taking me through the entire process all the way to offer in 11 days. And usually it takes like weeks, but if you want to show a great candidate that yes, you are willing to bring them on board, then speed is super important. There's no better way to show prioritization than through time, right? If you are a priority, then I will get back to you as quick as I can, right? And then the, the second thing is understanding the person as a whole, right? And so on the screening call, even as the hiring manager, I, I, I went into an interview once, probably six years ago. As soon as I sat down, the hiring manager goes, okay, give me an example of when you... And I was like, buddy, I can be the best candidate in the world. Like, ask me my name. So I think just understanding people as a whole, like, are they married? Are they... You know, what do they love, right? The first job, we ended up talking about, you know, Arsenal Football Club for like 10 minutes, right? And if you want to show people like, hey, you belong here, and then just start that from the interview process, right? Uh, and so when we talk about really good candidates being in a, any competitive market, the truth is I've seen candidates turn down an extra 20K for a boss that they were like, yeah, I believe that this person would actually have my best interest at heart because it's not always about the money. Not to say the money isn't important, but people will pick a boss that believes in them, a culture that allows them to grow over the extra 500 bucks per every two weeks, right? And so I think the, the speed is important. The holistic understanding of the person is very important. And then even for the candidates that don't make it all the way to the actual hire, the feedback is important. So when I first started at Shopify, we had to hire 50 reps in four months. And if I found any really, really good candidates, but that they weren't quite ready, I'd literally say, okay, listen, I need you to read this book. I need you to do this. And I want you to try again. And I would leave them better than I found them. And I think that's what really great hiring managers do is even if you can't take them on right now, leave them better than you found them. Because if they ever do come back to you, then you're getting a better version of someone that you always saw potential in anyway. Right? So I think those three things make a, a huge difference in terms of getting great talent to, I mean, that person's always going to be loyal. They'll always have that sense of, you know what, you actually helped me. And that's the thing with feedback, it doesn't even necessarily have to be like, even if it is specific, it doesn't have to be uh, from a critical tone. It can be like, listen, I believe you're, you have the potential to do this job, but I need you to work on these two things, study these two things to get there. Right. And people will still take that as really concrete feedback because a lot of people think that candidates are looking for, hey, this is what you did wrong as feedback. But that's not true. They're, they're actually looking for, hey, this is how you can get better. That's great feedback. And that's what makes people come back even better. I think you touched upon building a pipeline of talent for your friends. How do you personally keep track of these people you've spoken to over 
you know, a couple of months? Because it seems like you have, you know, large teams and you've had to hire quite a few positions at one time. I always consider myself like a talent scout, regardless of where I am. I, I was at a restaurant and this guy was turned around. He's like, are you Toby from LinkedIn? I'm like, yes. And, and we started talking. Okay. And so, uh, you know, I was like, I got some time. So I end up sitting down having dinner with him. So we're having dinner and he's talking me through his story. He talks about how, you know, he came here as an international student and what he would do is every summer he would work countless hours to make sure he could pay his $30,000 tuition by himself. And he was just going on and on. Like, this is what I did to get to where I am. I sold suits. I did this. And, and he's going on. Immediately, I go, give me your number. I'm hiring in two weeks because I, I will always hire the character of a person, right? If you had the the gusto to actually go through that process. I even said to him, I wouldn't have done it. I would have gone back home. So you're telling me everything I need to know over this dinner. It was better than any interview I could take him through, right? And so to me, I'm always scouting, right? If, if someone sends me a great first message, like a great cold message, I take their name down. It, how you do anything is pretty much how you do everything, right? You send me a great cold message like that, I, I just assume that you're great at prospecting, right? So I have this long bench and well, part of my superpower is being able to build teams that have different dynamics. So when I look at people that I meet that I'm like, they would do amazing in my business, I put their name down, right? When I look at people, I'm like, oh, they would do amazing in Shopify's business. I put their name down. And if I'm like, oh, they have leadership qualities, right? So I'm like, okay, I want to hire them at this point, right? Or they're a little more junior, but they have real tenacity. I would hire them at this point, right? So I'm always like, the first thing I do on any team is I go, okay, who's my captain, right? And I immediately identify my captain. Then I go, who's my core, right? And, you know, I got two, three reps that like, they just show up consistently, right? And I go, who's playing catch up? And that's okay. I don't mind if people are playing catch up on my team because it's always bigger than the number. So what I do is I pair the captains up with the people that are catching up, right? I make sure the core people are all paired up. Everyone starts on my team paired up. And then I give them the same mantra on every single team which is we're going to exceed expectations without experiencing burnout. Every single team I start, listen, we're going to, we're going to crush it, but I want you healthy the whole time. That's why I give them a week off every start of the quarter. I'm getting shit from my boss or, you know, whoever else like, Oh my God, you know, where I'm like, they're resting. That's why we hit 150% last quarter. They, I let them rest. They come back rested. You can't catch them. How do you catch someone rested? Right. And so always scouting, right? Within organizations, outside organizations, right? Someone sends me a great first message. I'll give them, I have like, you know, rules. I give them like 15 minute calls, right? If I, if I love their message and I think they're special, I'll give them a 30 minute call, right? So I have like all this, you know, very arbitrary, you know, like rules for how I treat different people that I meet. But every unique candidate that I met is somewhere in my phone with their name in there. And I'm like, I'm going to need you one day, you know, and I might not need you now, but that's what good hiring managers do is like, they're always going, where's my bench? And I learned that from my boss. She's like, always build your bench, right? Because someone comes in, they're like, oh, you know, I got a better job, you know, two week notice this quarter, three of my reps got promoted all at once, right? My three best reps, you know, no problem. I was like, I want this person, this person, this person, this backfill, let's get going, you know? So I think it's always important to just be building that bench. Yeah. I love that. I love the idea of, of also leaving them better than you found them. And, and yeah. the idea of like just treating not only your employees and people on your team, which adds to retention, 
but anybody coming through your process is somebody who is investing a lot in this process emotionally. You know, yeah. you can't really remove the emotion from any of these experiences, whether they're professional or in recruiting. But I'm going to just pivot a little bit. I, I want to hear, you've been talking a lot about this specifically in relation to the market downturn. I think this is this is something that relates to also going through the interview process and what you spoke to about salary and, and being willing to take a pay cut for somebody who treats you with you know dignity and respect. How has comp transparency changed in, in this recession? What are the new rules? Obviously, salaries were inflated in tech for a while, and now everything's sort of normalizing. So what are you experiencing or noticing on that front? Yeah, I think when we're seeing like, you know, companies are just like, we don't need to pay people 400K a year. I knew those salaries were high, but it was a boom and everybody was fine with it. I think on the other side, though, people are realizing I don't need 400K a year, you know, and they're, they're actually like coming to terms with the fact that, listen, you, you make a number that is way above your means and that allows you to work in a job that you find fulfillment in and enjoy the things outside of work that you can afford, you actually can live a really good life. And and people are reprioritizing, again, like taking that priority with them of, if I can pick up my kids without my boss, you know, putting me on like some sort of you know performance improvement plan, that's, I'll take that, right? And so there's, there's a, a shift happening in terms of salary transparency, where there's more salary transparency tools, right? Because people are going like, hey, here's how much I make. We've been taught that it's taboo to talk about comp for years and years because it gives the employer power to you know pay someone one thing and pay someone else the other. And then on the other side, candidates are even changing how they negotiate. So before, it used to be like, oh, Glassdoor says this role is seventy-eight to one hundred three thousand dollars. You're offering me sixty thousand. I'd like to get to the seventy-eight to one hundred thousand that I see on Glassdoor, and they're like, but we don't pay that anymore. And so negotiation has changed. And so now when I coach people, I go, listen, here's how you negotiate. I'm so excited that you decided to make me this offer. And I'm really looking forward to the prospect of joining your team. But what you've put in front of me doesn't make sense financially for me and my family. So is there anything we could do about it? And all of a sudden, the doors open up, right? Because everyone understands that the number that you have in your head for you and your family is not what's on glass door, right? Like we're individuals, right? If I have a mortgage, like $4,000 mortgage and you put a 60 K roll in front of me, I'm not taking it. It doesn't matter how much I love you. Right. And so the ability for people to now say, Oh no, listen, I do want to work with you, but what is in front of me is not financially feasible for me and my family. I always put that line for me and my family. You can't argue with it. Who are you going to call my mom? You know, like, there's, there's no, uh, it's not necessarily data backed, right? It's like, no, this is, this is where, how I feel. Right. And so I think that has changed a little bit as well, right? How people negotiate, but people are realizing it's not always about the money. Right. And, and I'm, I'm one for like talking about money. I, I do it every week on my LinkedIn, but even I have started to see it in, in the hiring process. People are going like, no, no, I don't want to work in, you know, sales anymore. Right, it it really affects my mental health. Well, we'll pay you thirty grand more. No, no, no. I I need to be healthy. I'll take the lesser role to be healthy. Right. We didn't see that a ton last quarter because people were like, give me the money, I'll I'll show up. 
right? And and so I think people are going like, hey, what's more important? You know, is it uh, the paycheck or is it the actual like, you know, my mental health, my ability to spend time with my family? And there's this trade-off happening of I'll take the cut or not necessarily a pay cut, but I'll, I'll take maybe even a lesser amount so that I can actually have, you know, the more freedom, right? And and I think that's it's it's pretty good actually, right? Like people don't need to sell out for for the job. From an employer standpoint, too, do you think that uh, negotiation should continue to be like a back and forth process, or do you think that it should just be pretty direct and transparent up front? I think the transparency up front is good for everyone. Worst thing is to get to the end of a process, greatest candidate you've seen misaligned. You got to start over. You know, like, why would you do that? You know, uh, and, and so with employers, I get it, you know, like you don't want to tell them, you know, everyone's all, all on like operational efficiency and profit right now. Like, oh, don't pay them more than we need to pay them. Like, yeah, I understand. But if you just look at it, you know, mathematically, your recruiter spent four hours interviewing this person, like just do the math on that. You're just losing money. You know, just tell them what they, I, when, I love Zapier. He's like, listen, here's, here's how it breaks down. This is the base for very special candidates. The base is even higher. And then this is the, uh, the stocks and here's the bonus on average. It's this last year it was this, do all of these things align with you? Yes. Amazing. Right. And it immediately took away like, oh. Why, why should I wait till the end to find out if this is going to be the right move for me, right? It's a waste of everyone's time. And I get it. You, you're going to keep your cards close to your chest, right? But there's no point. Just tell them so that they are able to go, okay, I really want this role. It's in the comp that I want. It's in the job that I want. It's in the company that I want. It pays what I want. So I'm going to give them my 100% versus I'm not really sure what it's going to pay. I'll give it what I can, I just don't know that it's going to, I mean, you don't even get the same candidate by being transparent. You get a better candidate, right? Because if it's aligned, then they show up a hundred percent. Absolutely. And, and I know that we've talked to a lot about the mental health aspect of all of these things. And I love your, your philosophy around your own team and making sure, and even job transitions, making sure that the mental health, it takes the priority versus the salary. Can you talk a little bit about how a startup or an early stage team or founder could potentially implement some strategies to make sure that his employees feel seen and heard that aren't, you know, the cliche strategies that it feels like don't really work anymore or resonate anymore. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think has to happen is like HR has to become neutral again. And, and what I mean by that is uh, historically HR works for the company. Right. Like, so you can actually bring a problem to HR and like you get silenced. Right. And, and just so that, you know, the CEO or whoever it is doesn't get in trouble. And that has to change. Like HR has to become neutral again, like HR as a whole. Right. Like, I think that's one thing that needs to happen is if you want to create a safe environment, there must be an outlet for people to say, Hey, I don't think this is working and it has to go up. Right. It, it cannot get caught in a file on Excel as like, Hey, somebody complained. Right. It has to go up. The feedback has to go up. And then on the other side, the, the leaders have to come down, right? They actually have to spend the time and go, Hey, I might not be able to implement everything you tell me, but I'm willing to listen to it. Right. 
And here's the thing. Most people just want to be heard. They don't even necessarily want the solution today, right? They just want to know that you, you heard them, right? And good leaders, what, what happened with TikTok? The guy shows up, he puts his face on camera. He's like, hey, here's what's happening. Everyone loves him. It was like a standard, like he came down. For, I didn't know who ran TikTok, right? He came down, put his face there. What happens? Instant backing, right? That's what needs to happen now, right? Like, don't, you know, you're not that far. Like as a leader, you can come down. I, I, and even for leaders, you know, there's a point last week or the week before I made a mistake with one of my reps. I, in the one-on-one, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm really sorry. You know, like that was the wrong call. And she was really frustrated and we're going, you know, I'm like, I'm sorry. You know, like I, I, I should have actually gone through all of the facts first. That's just good leadership. Used to be in the time where like our parents wouldn't apologize. All that stuff's gone. It's okay. Come down, apologize. Hey, we made a mistake and people will forgive you, right? And they'll forgive you if you're honest, right? And so I think if you want to create a culture without spending a ton of money on like, you know, Google's getting rid of all the you know, massages and video games and all this stuff. That's not culture. Those are gimmicks. The culture is a place where people feel safe. I, I, every single one of my reps at least once has cried in front of me to go like, Hey, here's what's going on. So when we start working towards a goal, I have full buy-in. My reps give me full buy-in for any goal. I set a crazy goal in front of them. They'll buy in. And, and I have the, the power outside of work to create really good culture. They have my phone number, right? Like every time, like when they got promoted, it was a Sunday. I called them. Hey, congratulations on your promotion. He's like, thank you for backing me, right? You create good culture by being a good human. I think that's where we bring more of that leveling. And now you have the ability for leaders to create a culture where people feel safe and heard. And they'll give you their best. That's one thing that I, I've learned. My team hit 150% of a very high number. It went all the way. You know, like we were there March 31st, like doing the calls. But here's the thing. I didn't go like, hey, you guys do it. I was on the calls. I probably did 20, 30 calls with them. That Their, their customers are calling my cell phone. I'm like, we'll take it across the line. So if, if leaders come down, right, and, and the feedback actually makes its way up, you create this incredible middle ground where your leaders feel safe enough to be like, hey, we need to get better, right? And then your employees feel safe enough to go, hey, we need to get better. But it's all working in tandem for everybody, right? The company gets better. You know, my pay gets better. The culture gets better. The company gets better. The, the leaders value the company more. The shareholders value. It's, it's a win-win, right? So I think that's really what's going to create good culture now is you take away all the, the magic and all the, the gimmicks, right? good humans, treating people like humans, and now you start to create incredible culture. I think what you're saying is so relevant for so many companies today, especially because there are a lot of layoffs that are going on. And layoffs are obviously hard on people who are let go, but also yes. internally with teams who have stayed because there are reorgs, there's obviously a lot of uncertainty on roles, etc. So I think, you know, there's coming down and explaining why you know, layoff took place, how that benefits the company, but also the path moving forward can be you know, so powerful. Pivoting a little bit, this is a question that I've wanted to ask the most, maybe because of some self-interest, but also for the listeners. How are employees today diversifying their income? Oh, this is like, this is the one. I think the how is 
second to the why. You know, here's what's happened. Everyone for hundreds of years knew like if your company, if you take care of your company, they'll take care of you, right? You get a pension, you get a nice going away party, right? Everyone's happy. And that changed sometime in the past, I don't know, a couple of decades, right? And now, especially now, seeing people with 15, 20 years experience get laid off via email, everyone's like, job security is definitely a myth. I thought that if I was loyal to my company, they'd be loyal to me. And that's just not true anymore. The company is loyal to the shareholders. And so it's the why that's been really interesting for me to to watch because a lot of the people that I used to talk to that never considered having a secondary stream of income uh, are now considering it. They're going like, yeah, I definitely need a backup. You know, uh, Now, the how is very dependent on the risk tolerance, the personality of the person, the skill level of the person, and the, the commitments and responsibilities that they have. So I always say not everybody should be an entrepreneur, but everybody should have a second stream of income, right? Because what was taught, you know, in the past couple of years is become a solopreneur, you know, start something, you know, build something. I'm not, I, some people are like, they're tired after work, you know, they don't want to build anything, <laughs> you know? So like my sister is amazing at this. She, I thought I was like, you should have like a secondary stream of income. You draw, you do hair. She's like, I'm tired though. I don't want to do it. I just want to like log off at four. You know, so what she's done is she's built this incredible career where she's irreplaceable at her company. Now, now I always thought like that wasn't actually possible, but it's true. Like the C-level execs know her by name, you know, and she's like gotten four promotions in four years. Right. And then she puts all this money away and she just invests. And that's smart. That's the second way of creating it. So it's not necessarily about even having a stream of ink. It's about having multiple backup plans so that if something goes wrong, you're not completely screwed. Right. And so how I'm seeing like crazy ideas, I'm seeing some really unique ones. I'm seeing some really standard ones, but you know, people are building digital courses, they're you know, selling notion templates, selling on Etsy, Shopify, Amazon, all those things. But I have a friend that's just like renting his second car on Turo and bringing in a thousand bucks a month. That's brilliant. The guy comes, picks up the car, sends you the money, you know, like you're like a little enterprise, you know? And so I think that's a really great way to, you know, create a second stream of income. I know people that they don't even do all of that. They just trade stocks. There's people doing options and, and things like that. that are a little more technical, but the people that I know, and, and there's a book called Ikigai that talks about this, this Japanese village where the, you know, the average age is like a hundred. Everybody has something secondary. Even if it's just gardening and selling plants and they say it creates more peace in their lives, which reduces stress, right? So the cortisol is not pumping through your body. Your health gets better and they live till a hundred. So there's science behind it too, creating a second stream of income or having somewhere else where you're not completely dependent on your company. But in terms of how the easiest way that I've seen, or like not the easiest, but super simple way is just creating content, right? And, and I've obviously that's what I've done, but creating content is amazing because I sit at home, I don't like video and I don't like talking to people all day. Right. So I make one post every day at 10 AM for the past three years. I have no true strategy, right. But it has opened up more doors than I think I can 
ever imagine, right? Like I'm literally an investor in companies now because people found my LinkedIn. So underrated way to change your life, get your thoughts out there on some public platform, right? You like video, do video. You like text, do text. But just getting part of who you are out in the world, you attract things that you might not even feel like you deserve, right? And so I, I definitely think there's a big push towards people going like, hey, I need to make sure that I'm covered. You know, I need something else. And I'm a big advocate of it. Love that. And I feel some employers, maybe not all, have concerns over side hustles because they have yeah. concerns over focus. What can companies do to support side hustles? You know, Shopify is like amazing at this, right? Like you get a free Shopify store, like they'll back you, you know, uh, which is amazing. Uh, and what it does is like happy employees do good work. That's my, my, my philosophy is happy employees do good work. So if I love running a clothing line outside of work, fulfills me, makes me feel like I am contributing something important to the world. I will bring that energy to the Excel sheet that I need to do on Monday morning, right? And what's happening is companies are threatened by the fact that, hey, someone is building this thing outside of work. Let's shut it down. One of my friends just got fired for starting her own side hustle, right? And I immediately was like, you idiots. This is what was going to fulfill her and then bring new ideas. I Listen, I've found an infinite loop in my, in my life, okay? My company helps me get better in my business. My business helps me get better in my company, right? So the better I am as an entrepreneur, the better I am as a boss. The better I am as a boss, the better I am as a... It's this infinite loop. So why has my you know income followed, right? A lot of people start on the, on the income. The income is not the goal. The, you find the infinite loop, the income will follow you because you are working in your zone of genius. You are, Neval puts it like this. He says, to escape competition, embrace authenticity. If there's no second you right? Then now you're pretty much irreplaceable, right? Now you bring your best self to work. So I think companies need to actually go, Hey, let's set up some boundaries, right? Google was doing this early on 20% of your time, work on what you love. And then 80% give it to us. Right. And people, I mean, Gmail came out of that, you know, like, so it's, it's weird that companies are not realizing that your productivity, the creativity, your next big thing, might come from somebody, your next big leader, right? Might come from somebody that is actually just working on their own thing, right? And I've seen it within my career at Shopify. Within a couple of months, I was doing panel talks with the COO because of everything that was happening, right? And I think it's important to actually back the employee, just create boundaries, right? Shopify says, don't work on it during the day. I'm like, okay, no problem, right? That's fair. <laughs> but don't fire me because of it, right? And don't don't hinder my career because of it. So I think it's it's okay to create the boundaries and to back them and to go, listen, as long as you're happy, we have an understanding, right? Then you're good to go. And on the other side, if your company does not back you, right? Because, you know, traditional companies, I say to people, set up a corporation, put it inside a trust, create a different company, get someone to be the face of it, and make your money. You cannot, you cannot wait for your company to save you. It is so ridiculous, right? I'm like, if they won't do it, if they won't let you do it with your face and your name, do it with someone else's face. You go on Pexels, use chat GPT-4, create a model, 
and do it anyway, right? Uh, just don't do it under your official name. Nobody's going to bother you. Yeah, I love that idea. And and I think it speaks to like what you were saying is that even even when employers come down to the employee and mm-hmm. and it levels the playing field, there is still this element of, you know, the business is responsible to the shareholders and employees are responsible for themselves. Yeah. And so they're their own best advocates. Yeah. But also speaking to the idea of mental health and burnout, I think it's also, I, I love this discussion about, about side projects or side hustles, because obviously humans are more than just their career. It's one of those things that people also don't feel comfortable talking about with their colleagues because yeah. they, they worry that if they talk about doing something outside of their day job or their work, that it'll signal that they're not as productive in that current role. And so I love the idea of changing that mentality entirely and being transparent about it and just putting boundaries on it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Toby, this has been an amazing conversation. I feel like I walked away with so many one-liners and and like strategies. And I know that our listeners are going to really get a lot out of this episode. Amazing. Thank you for having me. I love, love this topic, all of it. And I just hope that people continue to prioritize themselves and continue to realize, listen, it's no longer B2B or recruiter versus candidate or company. It's just human to human interactions. And really embracing that for the next however long, forever if possible. The second we start treating people more like humans, everything I find gets better. Yeah. And speaking of authenticity too, that's how you beat up, you know, other companies vying for the, the same talent. Exactly. Yeah. Toby, can you let our listeners know where they can find you on socials? Yeah. So my main social is uh, on LinkedIn, the Toby Oluwole. I'm there pretty much every day. Uh, we also have, uh, you know, the three skills.com, right, which is where our newsletter is and um, everything else, the paid in full newsletter. And you can also get in touch with me through my website, which is tobiolowale.com. So T-O-B-I-O-L-U-W-O-L-E.com. Awesome. Thanks so much, Toby. No problem. Thanks for having me. How We Built Our Team is produced by Dover, a recruiting operations platform that helps you attract and engage the best talent. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else that you listen to podcasts.